Well, good morning, everybody. Hey, uh, thanks so much for being with us in person today. Thanks so much for being with us online today. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and, and you've kind of walked in. We are in week two of a series that we have entitled First Comes Love, and this is a uh, series about relationships. And last week, we kicked this series off, and, and, and we talked about how we're using a rhyme that many of us grew up with as kind of a launching point for this series. And if you weren't here last week, you may remember the rhyme from your own childhood, and it, it, it's, it's up here on the screen. It's kind of, you know, blank and blank, and you can fill this in with just about any couple. So I could say, um, Grant and Susie, right, sitting in a tree, and and, and everybody knows Grant's kind of a swarmy fella, so there's probably some K-I-S-S-I-N-G going on, and then first comes love, and then comes marriage, and then comes baby in a baby carriage, and you guys are probably done with that part of your lives, but you get the idea, right? Okay, and Grant's like, yes, we are, all right? But um, the, here's, this, this rhyme kind of talks to us about life and relationships, and, and it's not meant to be any kind of, you know, like theory on how it all works, but you kind of pick up as a kid that, you know, when it comes to dating and love and marriage and family, you know, the rhyme would lead you to believe that this is just an easy thing. It's just, life just naturally goes from one to the next. It's sequential and you just kind of get on the ride and ride the ride and it'll take you, you know, through these different, you know, factors of your life. But then you grow up. And you discover that dating and love and marriage and family, it's not easy. It's complicated. It's, it's not just natural and normal. No, this is really difficult. And some, for, for many of us, some of us in the room today, some of us watching online today, we have deep pain and frustration and disappointment as it relates to one or more of these areas of our lives. And, and if, listen, if that's you today, I want you to know that's okay. I, I understand it's not comfortable, that's not where you want to be, it's not where you want to stay, but it's normal to struggle in one or more of these areas of our lives. And if that's not you, I'm not going to ask folks to you know, raise your hand if your marriage sucks today, no. <laughs> but if that's you, you are not alone. There are other people sitting in this room. There are other people watching online with you where you're not alone. You're, the struggle is real and it's not unique to you. The good news is that God has not left us to like blindly wander around and figure this out on our own. God has spoken truth in your life and mine about every one of these factors. And if we will consistently apply God's truth, he will breathe his life into these areas of our lives. And so in this series, each week we're, we're taking one of these factors and we're just kind of unpacking this factor and, and looking at what God has said to us about this factor and about our lives and how it all works. And as, as we continue today, we're going to look at this crazy little thing called love. See what I did there? Yeah, only the old people got that joke, all right? All right, that's okay. But we're, we're going to look at this, this idea of love. And, and, and Matt asked you, you know, he was like, hey, what's something simple, something serious, you know, whatever that, that you love? And if you're, on the, if you're watching online, put those answers into the chat feed there. But if you're in the room, what are some of the things that you love? Pizza. Pizza. Oh, chocolate, yes. 
But you guys are like stuck on the food here, right? Yeah. <laughs> golf. Yes, you do love golf, Dick Kinesic, right? Sunsets, right? This is a funny thing, this idea of love, right? Like it has this range of meaning. Like I can say, I love football. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Like this is the t- the playoffs are proof that God loves me and wants me to be happy, right? Or, or, or I can say, I love my wife. I found a good thing. I can say, I love bacon cheeseburgers, and Lord bless me, I do. Yeah, yeah. I can say, I love my granddaughter, feral cat that she is. I love her anyway, right? Yeah, now, all the same word, but hopefully I mean different things. See, in our experience, and biblically speaking, Love has a range of meaning, and that's okay, because God created love in the context of romantic relationships, and I get that love exists outside of the context of romantic relationships, but we're, we're in a relationship series, so we're going to talk about relationships. In the context of romantic relationships, God created love to be a complex, multifaceted thing in our lives. In fact, I would argue that there there are three different facets that God means for us to experience in our romantic relationships when it comes to love. We oftentimes will forget that. We'll talk about love and say things meant to express love, and we will limit love to one of those facets, and we'll do so at the expense of the others, We'll actually rob ourselves of some of what God means for love to be. So just as we begin, just stop and think. When you tell someone, hey, I love you, what do you mean by that? Or when when you're going, boy, I just long to be loved, what do you want? Or when, when we say that, you know, God means for us to experience love in the context of romantic relationships, what do we think God has in mind? See, again, love is a, is a complex concept. God created it that way. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to turn to an Old Testament book, the Song of Songs, and we're going to look at three different facets of love that this book describes for us. The, the book uses three different Hebrew words to describe love, and each of those words captures for us a different facet of what love is meant to be. And again, we're not meant to experience them in isolation. When we, when we limit love to just one of these three things, we rob ourselves. But we're meant to experience all three singing chorus together today. But because I'm kind of a concrete, sequential guy, we're just going to take them one at a time and walk through them. So, first, first word that, that, that's translated as love, we get it early in the book, and it is the word dode. Everybody say dode. Look at that, you're Hebrew scholars. All right, so right at the beginning of the book, we read this. The, 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 and here's the thing about the Song of Songs, right? It's kind of an opera that that a young groom and a young bride and, and then their chorus of friends chime in every now and again. They sing together. So at the beginning of the book, the bride's singing about Dode, and she says this. She sings this. She says, kiss me and kiss me again, for your love is sweeter than wine. 
Now, in case you're not picking up what girlfriend is putting down here, right, which aspect of love she has in mind here, the groom chimes in and, and he sings some more. He says, your love delights me, my treasure, my bride. Your love is better than wine. Your perfume more fragrant than spices. Your lips are as sweet as nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. Your clothes are scented like the cedars of Lebanon. Now, let me just stop here and point out, what is romantic in one culture isn't always romantic in another. So gentlemen, do not look at you, you know, when you get home, don't be like, baby, you smell like trees, all right? It's just not going to get you anywhere. But in this culture, that was romantic. So he says, you know, your, your clothes are scented like the cedars of Lebanon. He says, a garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. Now, this is suggestive. He's like, you're like wine. You're like honey and milk. You're, you're like a garden. And then he gets even more suggestive. He says, I have entered my garden, my treasure, my bride. I gather mirth with my spices and eat honeycomb with my honey. I drink wine with my milk. And then the chorus chimes in and they're like, oh, lovers and beloved, eat and drink. Yes, drink deeply of your love. It's getting steamy up in church today. So, Dode, this first facet of love, it's meant to capture physical attraction, or in the context of, of marriage, physical intimacy. The, the, the Greek equivalent is the word eros. It's where we get our word erotic from. And, and for so many relationships, not all, but for so many relationships, this is where love begins, with physical attraction or a desire for physical intimacy. For, for example, just like my wife Laura and I, this is where our relationship began. I was working as a counselor at camp. I, I just finished my first year of college and spent an entire summer at a Bible camp and, and mostly counseling, did some lifeguarding, a little bit of maintenance as well. But one particular week, I was counseling junior boys. So I've got a dozen eight to 10-year-old boys and they're mine and another counselor's for the week. And every day you would take your cabin to a different activity, right? So the day comes where it's our turn to take our 12, 8 to 10-year-old boys to the craft barn. <laughs> yeah, sounded about as much fun to me as a barium enema, right? I was like, wanted no part of that. And so I'm like, oh, we're, gonna, we're just going to get through this thing. And then my co-counselor comes to me. He's like, listen, there's this girl's cabin. They don't want to take their girls to the lakefront. They'd be willing to take our boys to the craft barn if we take their girls to the lakefront. I'm like, what are you doing here? Go make that deal, right? <laughs> so we got these little girls, and, and I, I don't know, three or four of them out on a paddle boat. And they say to me, our counselor thinks you're really cute. And I think, well, why wouldn't she, right, <laughs> right? And so, so, now in my wife's defense, all right, Laura will swear to you that she never said that, right? And she will swear to you that that week she it was not, boys and dating was not even on her radar, right? In fact, she will even tell you that how I appeared physically didn't even, like, wasn't even a consideration for her until after we were engaged. And I'm like, what a waste of all this God-given talent, right? But... <laughs> So, 
So I, we, we get, get done at the lake, and my co-counselor trades cabins, so I don't get to see the girl who thinks I'm cute. So the next day, I'm watching, trying to find that girl's cabin, right? And I do, and there's Laura, and I thought two things. I thought, ooh, she's pretty. And I thought, ooh, she looks like she's 14. No. <laughs> no, thank you, jailbait. Don't stand so close to me. I'm not going to prison, right? Right? Now, the end of the week comes, and I'm sitting, there's myself, Laura, and one of the campers, and the kid's bemoaning how he doesn't have enough change to get another candy bar like he needed another candy bar. But um, she says to him, she's like, hey, there's a bunch of change on the floor of my car. Help yourself. And in, in stereo, the kid and I look at her and go, you drive? And she says, yes, and I vote. And all of a sudden, we were back to, ooh, she's pretty, right? <laughs> Listen. If your relationship started with Dode, with physical attraction or a desire to, to, for, for some kind of physical connection with a person, that's not a bad thing. Like people will say, the Bible's down on attraction, the Bible's down on physical intimacy. This racy stuff we were reading that made some of you uncomfortable, that's in your Bible. All right? Biblically speaking, God is the one who invented sexuality. God designed your body for, for, with hormones and, and those physical desires. That's not a bad thing. That's a gift from God to be experienced and enjoyed. And in the context of marriage, it is such a blessing. But here's what we need to understand. I like it. Amen. Yeah, say it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to behave. All right. Um, but dote alone is not what love is meant to be. If this is all love is, if, again, for Laura and I, this is where we started. But if we never added anything to dote, if, if love was nothing more than physical attraction and physical intimacy, I'm telling you right now, we would not be married today. If, if all love is, is physical attraction, you're in trouble. Because none of us are getting better looking as the years roll by. My wife and I were both way more attractive 30 plus years ago than we are today. If, if love is simply physical attraction, the aging process is going to rob every one of us of love. And if love is just physical intimacy, if at some point medically th th this isn't an option for us anymore, does that mean that we don't have love in our relationship any longer? Don't. Physical attraction, physical intimacy, it's a wonderful gift from God, but it's not all that love is. So let's add our next facet to Dode. We find our next facet a little bit later in the book. Chapter 2, the groom sings this. He says, the fig tree puts forth her green figs. The vine with tender grapes gives a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Rise up, my love, my fair one, come away with me. Now, the word we have translated for love here is the word raya. Everybody say raya. Yeah, literally translated, it's friend, companion, soulmate. The, the, the Greek equivalent is philio. It's where we get our word Philadelphia, where the city of brotherly love from. 
we get this facet of, of love illustrated for us in a conversation that takes place in the book of Judges. Book of Judges, you got this guy named Jephthah, makes his really rash vow, and the vow's going to cost his daughter um, her ability to ever be married, have family, have children. Now, she's not excited about this, but she's really honorable about it. And so she says to her dad, she says, Father, if you have made a vow to the Lord, you must do to me what you have vowed. For the Lord has given you a great victory over your enemies, the Ammonites. But first, let me do this one thing. Let me go and roam the hills and weep with my friends for two months. Jephthah's made this vow. It's basically going to, his daughter's going to become the Old Testament equivalent of a nun. She's going to live, you know, at the temple, perform temple service for the rest of her life, never going to have family, never going to have kids. And she's like, listen, can I just have a couple months to go with the people who are near and dear to me and mourn the loss of what I would have had in the future? What we translate as friends here in Judges, this is Raya. Let me go with my friends. Let me go with my loved ones the people who are closest to me, and just mourn what I'm going to lose in the rest of my life. This is, this is the second facet of love, this idea of friendship, this idea of a deep emotional connection, fond feelings of affection. So, back to my wife and I, right? I see, see Laura at the, the end of that week, I think, ooh, she's pretty, and then she goes home. I'm there all summer. She pops in a couple more times, and really, I see her, but nothing happens. And then the summer ends, and we all go home for the summer. And I'm home for a few weeks, and I get this phone call. It's a girl on the other end of the line asking for me, and that happened a lot. It was not a big deal, right? And so, um, but I, I didn't recognize the voice, and, and it turned out to be Laura. Now, I was not expecting a call from Laura, but I was smooth. I was debonair, romantic. In fact, gentlemen, you can write this line down, and you can use this yourselves, right? So she, she, I pick up the phone. She's like, hey, can I speak to Mike? And I'm like, this is Mike. And she's like, this is Laura Meinzinger from camp. And I said to her, why are you calling me? <laughs> I was, yes, Percy, I did. I was just so caught off guard. I, just, I had no idea, and that's what came out of my mouth. And I'm like, you ever something coming out of your mouth, and you're like trying to catch the words and push them back in, but that's how it went. So she's like, well, I, you know, like I formed all these relationships at camp, and I really appreciated and enjoyed them, and, and they gave us this directory. Here's how old we are. You would leave camp, and they would give you a printed directory that had everybody's name who was at camp, everybody's mailing address, everybody's phone number, right? And so she's like, hey, I saw that like you're geographically close to me, so I thought I'd give you a call. And so we spent an hour on the phone that night just talking. And then every other week, one of us would call the other. And we spent an hour, hour and a half just talking. And over the course of several months, we became really good friends. And, and, and I found myself beginning to think, like the writer in the Song of Songs, at one point the groom says, as a lily among the thorns, so is my love among the daughters. The better I got to know Laura and who she was and what she wanted to do with her life, the more I found myself thinking, I don't know any other girls like this. I've never felt like another girl, about another girl, like, like I feel about this girl. There's, there's the, the second facet of love. 
It's meant to be this friendship, this deep emotional connection that you have with another person. And you take that kind of emotional connection, that friendship, and you pair that with some physical attraction and look out, right? But again, as wonderful as the friendship component is, it's not meant to stand alone. Because here's the thing, this friendship component and all the emotions that go with it, these emotions can can make you think and say crazy stuff. These emotions, they lack permanence. There's ups and downs to relationships, and you can feel this stuff with people you're not even in a romantic relationship with. Like when a relationship is new, emotions just rage, and we say crazy stuff like, this is bigger than the both of us. Or we'll say, the heart wants what the heart wants. What's that even mean? Right? Or we'll say, we'll say we don't choose who we fall in love with. We just follow our hearts. This is so stupid. But this is, I mean, like these emotions rage, and this, these are the places we go, and here's what's happening. They've done, there are scientific studies. When you're in a new relationship, especially a romantic relationship, you're, there's a biochemical thing that takes place. Your brain starts pumping chemicals into your body that make you feel like you are on cloud nine when you are with that person. And then you know what we do? We call that feeling love. We, we limit love to that feeling. Here's the trouble with that. Studies have also shown that after 6 to 18 months, 24 if you're really lucky, your, your brain stops doping you up. And all of a sudden, you lost that love and feeling, right? And, and you, you can be like, you, you, you can have, like you can be such good friends with someone. But let's, come on. Friendships have up and downs. And that, that, that marriage is not immune to that. Like, your spouse can be somebody who you, like, you're like, I don't know that there's anybody on the planet I feel closer to than this individual. And then there will be times where you think, I could choke you out, and there's not a jury on the planet that would convict me. <laughs> Amen, married people? Yeah! Right? You know, it's just there's ups and downs to relationships. And here's the thing, that, that, that new relationship feel, that spark, those chemicals, your body doesn't limit that to the committed relationships that you have. You can be in a committed romantic relationship, one that has stopped pumping the chemicals in there, and then you find yourself in a new relationship. It could be at work with somebody of the opposite sex, and your body will pump those chemicals in anyway. See, if, if, if love is limited to just the friendship aspect, we're in trouble. Because when, when our body stops pumping the chemicals in, we'll be like, well, I, I guess, I, guess I, I, I don't feel like I love you anymore. I've lost that love and feeling. Or in the midst of some of the downs that come with any friendship and relationship, we can be like, well, I, I guess I've fallen out of love. Or we, we, you know, our body stops pumping those chemicals into us with our spouse, and then you, you get that chemical, that spark with somebody you're not married to, and you start to wonder, did I marry the wrong person? See, friendship, it's, it's an incredibly important part of what love is. But alone, it's not enough. 
So let's, let's look at our last facet of what love is meant to be. We find this in chapter 8. Again, the groom sings. He says, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death, its jealousy is enduring as the grave. Love flashes like fire, the brightest kind of flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can rivers drown it out. Now, the Hebrew word for love here is ahava. Everybody say, ahava. <laughs> I love, see, there's that range, right? I really appreciate the way the writer here tries to illustrate what love is. It's like it's a seal. It's, it's, it's something you would put on a document that communicates this is forever binding. He's like, he's like love is like death in the grave. <laughs> it is. This kind of love is like death in the grave because there is a sense of permanence. Death in the grave endure. He's like, love, it's like a fire. I don't care. You pour a river on that thing. You're not putting it out. Now, Ahava, this third love, the Greek equivalent is agape. And in the New Testament, that is the word that is used to describe God's unconditional, sacrificial love. The Apostle John kind of, expresses what that love looks like in one of his letters. He says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. That's unconditional. Somebody doesn't love you back and you love them anyway, that is unconditional. Ahava is a love of the will. It's, it's more than a feeling. It's more than an urge. It's, it's a, I am deciding to love you. I am committing myself and my life to you forever. It's the glue that holds us together. This unconditional love, this is the kind of love when we get older and we get gray and we get wrinkled and, and in shape means round because round's still a shape, right? Ahava chooses to love because love's unconditional. And when all those things that were cute and, and quirky when we were dating because opposites attract, they now drive us nuts and why won't you do it the right way? Ahava chooses to love because love is unconditional. And when we hit that season, when we're in a low and our, our spouse feels more like an enemy than they do a friend, Ahava chooses to love because this facet of love is unconditional. And not only is it unconditional, but it's, it's sacrificial. He says, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Love cost God. It cost the Father the best heaven had to offer. As Jesus is sent to lay down his life so that we could be forgiven so that our lives could be transformed. And again, God means for this love to be a verb. It's not just something we say, it's something we do. A few verses later, John says, let us not love with words and speech, but with action and truth. 
See, this is the part of love that says, hey, I'm going to get up with the kids. You sleep in. This is part of love that says, hey, I know it's your turn to do the dishes. I know it's your turn to take out your... I got it. This is part of love that goes to the restaurant that they like to eat at. The part that engages in that activity, not because we like it, because they do. This is the part of love that goes with the house that they like best, that makes career decisions that are going to be in their best interest. This is the part of love that seeks to bless the one we say we love. And ahava, it can can rekindle the other loves if they've been lost. Ahava will create a sense of friendship long after your body stops pumping those chemicals in. And ahava, it creates security. And people, they hold back in intimacy when they feel insecure. And they open up in intimacy when they feel secure. And yet, ahava is not meant to stand alone. If, if a marriage is there because of commitment alone, that's not what God had in mind. A marriage that is void of friendship, and lost intimacy, that's not God's design. Ahava, like the others, it's, it's meant to sing in chorus with the others. But if any love can serve as a foundation for the others, it's Ahava. If any love can bring the others back, it's Ahava. And if any love can stand alone because life and circumstances have left us no other choice, it is Ahava. I've watched couples hold on by Ahava alone. And of all the ones that I've watched, I think the one that struck me the most was my own parents. I've shared before that my mom Um, was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's and that at the age of 57 she passed away due to complications related to that. That disease robbed my parents of Raya. It robbed them of Dode and left them with nothing to hold on to but Ahava. And and, and their marriage and the road they walked together wasn't, it it was not perfect. I got to watch that. And I watched something unfold between my parents that was simultaneously heartbreaking and beautiful. My mom, she could keep more plates spinning than anybody I knew. And I watched Alzheimer's just rob her of her cognitive capacity. I remember sitting in the dining room and watching her get to a point where she couldn't set the table got the fork and the knife in her hand and just could not figure out what to do with it. I watched my mother lose her memory, get to the point where you weren't even sure if she remembered you or your name. I, I watched my mother lose her ability to speak. It just, it just, it just became increasingly nonverbal. And I watched my mom 
just her whole personality changed. She became incredibly angry, at times psychotic, at times violent. And my dad was the one who more often than not bore the brunt of that. My dad, I watched my dad love my mom. Took an early buyout from Chrysler. Not because he wanted to, not because it was in his best interest financially, but that's what love was going to do. He's either going to take an early buyout or he's going to put her into an institution. I watched my dad's days become, you get up, you bathe Joe, you dress her, you groom her, you make sure she's got breakfast, you make sure she's safe all day. That became his life, taking care of my mom. And again, my, my mom became very angry. She became violent at times. And my dad was the one who caught most of that. And yet my dad chose to love my mom. At the beginning, he said, I love you. And part of what he meant was you and me forever, no matter what, until death takes one of us home. And I watched him do it. I hope I never have to do that. But if I do, I hope that I'll be able to live up to what I saw my father do. We love sacrificially. We love unconditionally. Because that's the way God loved us. And that's part of what love is meant to be. So, this thing called love. It's complex. There's, there's part of it that's physical. It's attraction. It's intimacy. There's part of it that's emotional. There's a friendship. And there's part of it that's a covenant, a commitment, an act of the will. And God means for us to experience all three facets of love singing together. And when that is what love is, the life of God is breathed in to our relationships. Let's pray together. Father, just as we think about what you have meant for love to be, Father, let's pray you would meet us, that you would help us, especially if the relationship that we are in is missing some of what love is meant to be. God, I pray that you would bring help, that you would bring comfort, that you would pour out your wisdom onto us, Father, help us to see what we have done, wittingly or not, to, to limit what love is. Father, help us to see what we can do to rekindle all that love should be. And Father, we just pray for the grace to be the kind of people who would do just that. We just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.